0: listen to On the NBA Beat on Almighty Baller Radio, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland
1: has three timeouts, while the Lakers have two. Brian, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan, oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Lauren Lee Chen. Whether you're new to the show or a longtime fan, we're glad you're here with us today and always appreciate you pushing play. If you want to stay connected with us, be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. For this episode, Aaron and Joshua have left me to take in the summer sun and non-stop basketball action at the Las Vegas Summer League. But don't worry, you won't just have to listen to me talk to myself for the whole show. I've enlisted the help of Joe Morgan, who covers the Sacramento Kings for SacKingNation.com, and co-hosts the Kings Court podcast. Joe's calling in from Las Vegas, and we'll definitely touch on the Kings' eventful summer later on in the show. But the primary reason I'm bringing Joe on is to talk about his experience going through Pro Scout School this week. Hope you enjoy it. We have Joe Morgan on the line joining us from Las Vegas where I hear it's unbearably hot as always. How are you holding up, Joe?
0: Oh man, it's beautiful out here. It's only uh I think the high end was about 115. You know, it's a dry heat, so you try not to you try not to think about it.
1: Yeah, I remember from my times going down there during the summer. Now, most of the NBA crowd that has descended over the city, including my two usual co-hosts, Aaron and Joshua, are primarily there for Las Vegas Summer League. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on in this episode. But you had a more unique experience earlier this week there, Joe. You participated in the Pro Scout School annual conference by TPG Sports Group. For the listeners who don't know what that is, can you just give us a general overview of that program and what made you interested in it?
0: Okay, well, there's a couple different schools out here, and I highly recommend any NBA fan or or somebody who's trying to be in the league and just understand it better. The first school was actually um, by Sports Management Worldwide, and that is the career course. And that one breaks down every job that, you know, there's only five guys playing basketball at any given moment and there's, you know, five, 600 people that work in the building, it breaks down all the other jobs, the scouting, the front office, everything. And then the TPG Pro Scout School, they sort of do the same thing with a much higher emphasis on scouting, they break down, you know, the six different types of scouting, whether that's, you know, in the EuroLeague, whether that's uh, college, whether that's pro scout, you know, advanced scouting, whether that's your analytics team, they really get in depth on it. And you get some Really interesting breakdowns. I guess like like Bobby Marks is the one who comes in and breaks down the cap for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all it's all the people basically the the who's who of, who actually knows specifically each job and they and they break it down for you in a way that I was telling you kind of off air. Uh, I have a pretty good handle on how I feel about the NBA until I talk to somebody like Bobby Marks. I think I understand the CBA until I talk to a guy who really understands the CBA. Uh, and and that's pretty much that's pretty much how this whole thing goes where you talk to people who understand each aspect so much better than you that you can't not learn. You you definitely learn something from each class.
1: And from what I understand, between talking to you off air a little bit, and also just the promotional copy on their website, there are different tracks or modules that focus on either, I guess, the draft process, becoming a GM and other tracks that accurate?
0: Yeah, you can you can sign up for an extra thing that is called the GM experience. And that one will run you through, you know, that, that version of it, you have the draft room, which puts you through a, you know, what it's like to actually be in the room when that happens. And again, it gives you some behind the scenes, just an idea of what actually happens there. Cause everybody thinks they know and you don't realize how many moving parts there are until you're in there, how many different voices the GM is listening to at any given moment, whether again, it's, whether it's a scout who saw the kid, whether it's the analytics team who's saying, you know, he never dribbles left, we have to fix that. What is that going to take us? Do we have the the ability to do that and then his trainers they they really have a lot of different voices in their ears and it and it shows you that it shows you how much more goes into this than than the average person the average fan would think.
1: is the structure of each school mainly just panels or a conference structure, or do you get a chance to watch actual games or tape or, and stuff like that too?
0: It's about 90% panels. So you start off and and, uh, like this year, Fran Schiller was running it. So he does the opening remarks. And then they do an hour and a half panel on actual scouting. So three scouts come in and tell you, and and they're from different levels. So, you know, you'll have three different scouts talk to you. Then they have player development guys come in and, you know, you do an hour and a half of that and you have Q and A's after each one. So you can ask, you know, whatever you want. And it's a small enough setting that, I hate to call it intimate, but, I mean, you can ask any question you're thinking and and you have time to answer it. I'm trying to go down the list here. Then they have coaches come in and tell you what the coaching perspective is. They have, again, more talent evaluators as opposed to scouts where they they specifically break down, like I said, dribbling left instead of dribbling right. What exact percentage does he do? How do you fix it? Things like that. And that was like, if if you know who Tony Ronzon is from the Mavericks, Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's the player development guy who came in was actually on our network. Uh, he runs the pure sweat podcast on our yeah. network and that's Drew Hanlon. Yeah. And again, the way he breaks down and tells a, a player what he's going to fix and how he's going to fix it. It's amazing. Like it, it, it really motivates you. I'm telling you, I, I think I want to be an NBA player now. Like I'm going to go <laughs> follow Drew around for a year. And by the end of it, maybe I'll know how to shoot. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. And then, like I said, the, the kind of ending of it is Then they come through and you break down into a couple groups and, you know, you go sit through Bobby Marks' presentation on the salary cap and in an hour, you can never learn the whole thing, but it certainly, it gives you more stuff. Basically, when you leave here, you want to go home and study for another six months. Hmm.
1: Yeah. You said it was fairly close knit or intimate. How many total participants would you say if you were to estimate?
0: I'm bad at guessing crowd sizes. There couldn't have been more than 120 of us.
1: Yeah, Uh, it was,
0: and, and for the career conference, it was even smaller. There was probably 50 or 60 of us. And, uh, like one example of how crazy it is out here. We had two different GMs come to class and talk to us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, while you're out here at summer league, everybody's guard is down. So they talk to you more openly than they would during the season when they're busy. You know, you can walk up and actually ask them questions and they give you, Again, they give you that insider's view of why did this move happen? Why did that move happen? My favorite example this year is I could not figure out why Ola went to, to Indiana. Just couldn't mm-hmm. couldn't grasp like how that worked. And and somebody made the point in the class of, you know, he's a a Hoosier alum. So do you think that helps them sell tickets for the team that was twenty second in attendance last year? Do you think him going and getting the, the sponsorships that they need when half of the businesses there are run by other Hoosier alums? Wow that, that makes a lot of sense. I never would have put that together as a you know as just on the money side of it you know they, they mentioned that basketball teams only convene to do two things and that's win games and make money. As a fan and as a, even as a commentator generally you only look at the game winning side of it. We forget to add in that you know this is a business and uh, a lot of times they have to do things that you would not have as a fan or a commentator wanted to see for winning, but it, it works really well on the business side. And again, you get to see both sides of that in these classes.
1: Who would you say were the most insightful or interesting perspectives from the guest speakers that you got? I know you mentioned Fran Fraschilla was running it. You got to Mm -hmm. pick the brain of Bobby Marks for a bit. There's GMs there, like I think Kevin Pritchard was in attendance, people from the coaching and player development side, like Fred Hoiberg or Steven Silas. Did anyone really jump out to you as having an insightful perspective?
0: Well, you know, because of what I'm doing, because I'm in the, the media side,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, listening to Amin, Amin Alassane talk, the ESPN guy, Yeah, that was that was really interesting to me, the, the way they broke down how, um, and of course I'm biased, but how they broke down how podcasting is probably going to overtake radio hmm. in the sense that if you're listening to a podcast, you had to find us, you had to choose us. If you're listening to a radio show, you just happen to be in your car when it's on. But if you want to listen to us, you actually had to care. You had to care about that team. You have to care about whatever we're talking about that day. And, and he broke that down in a way that, again, I'd never thought of. And then the guy who didn't get to speak with us was David Griffin. And uh, that was on Saturday, and pretty (laughs) obvious he was in New York taking a different meeting, so he had to cancel. And we ended up uh, getting somebody out of the Warriors organization to come and talk to us instead. But that was pretty interesting to be there in the room and find out, like, you know, your your Adrian Wojnarowski tweet is going off saying David Griffin's about to take a meeting in New York, and then 10 seconds later they stand up and they're like, oh, he just canceled. You know, it's it's you definitely you know you're you're in the mix when you're out here. It's really funny because the off season is still alive and kicking, so a lot of these guys have to you know be in the room for five minutes and they have to take off at damn near a jog to go get to whatever their next meeting is. I'm trying to go through the list of, of people that have Brian Hagan, the chicago bulls assistant g m was out here mm-hmm. and he gave a a very interesting speech just again about about what really goes into being an assistant g m and how I don't know, man. There's so many people talking here. Again, it's almost where you want to go home and study for another six months. You really you really leave here realizing there's so much more behind-the-scenes stuff. It, there's no one that really stood out as much as, I don't know, that may be a lie. Drew Hamlin, like I said, he made me want to go learn to play basketball again, like start back over and just listen to what he says and, and become decent at the game. But every one of them motivated me in a different way.
1: One thing I've been always curious about in these types of settings is how the advanced analytics movement is taken into consideration. Cause I think in the media, among, among maybe like analysts or something, it's often portrayed as a adversarial or oppositional relationship between analytics and scouting or like traditional scouting, I mean. But, I, I don't get the sense that in a lot of organizations, it's like that, and they're able to use them in tandem.
0: In, in the class, one of the, my favorite sentences that came out of the whole thing was, analytics is just evidence-based decision-making. Yeah. And it just gives the actual scouts, you, you have to have, a, a guy has to pass the eye test, right? Mm-hmm. You can't watch a guy and think he's horrible and then want him to your team. But analytics give you something to where it helps you watch for a specific pattern. You can you can use the symptoms of analytics and say, the math says he never goes right. Watch him as a scout now and find out does he have that ability? Or is it just uh, the system he's in? You know, and, and it gives you another way to, to fine-tune what you're looking for. A lot of these guys uh, you only get to watch once, twice. You know, if you're flying around Europe, you don't get to fly to wherever, pick a spot, Yugoslavia twice to see some seven-foot-tall kid. So if you Have an analytics team give you some notes beforehand, it really helps you out as a scout. So it's not adversarial as long as they're answering the questions either before or after that you need answered to then be a better scout. Uh, The times that it would be adversarial is, I'll give you the example of Gasol. When he came in, he did not pass the eye test. He was too slow, running up and down the floor. You know, you could watch him and just say, God, this guy can't play. But when you watch the numbers, you know he's going to move forward, get faster. Everybody comes into the NBA, gets in better shape because they have, you know, better staff to do that. So it helps you look at guys who may not pass the eye test and see past that.
1: Yeah, that's a good point that you bring up because I think a lot of uh, the analytics we use, at least I'm not sure about the proprietary analytics by the teams, but at least us as analysts, when we look for patterns, a lot of it's just... Maybe doing some exploratory analysis, as you said. What's his percentage of going right versus left? How often does he drive versus pass? And then the scouting really helps us develop a story to place behind those stats. Like, is he not going right or left because he can't do it, or because just the system isn't built for him to do so? So, I I think that's a good point. If organizations are able to use them in tandem, and then as you said, like obviously you can't watch every single game of every single player that you're interested in. Right.
0: One of the things that they mentioned that I, again, had never thought of before is instead of scouting, say a kid's college game, go watch him when he's at USA basketball, go watch him when he's at some other, you know, the McDonald's conference, any, uh, not the conference. Wow. My brain is not working. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This is what happens when you're here for 10 days straight in Las Vegas. You get a little melted brain syndrome, but uh you know, you go watch him somewhere where the coach isn't his coach, where the coach Mm -hmm. doesn't have a vested interest in him going farther and you can get a lot more honest opinions. And then you add in what you have on the analytics team telling you, and you ask that coach, you know, if you ask, say, say you're going to Oregon to scout a guy, the Oregon coach wants him to make it in the NBA looks better on his, his staff looks better on uh, Oregon as a unit. It looks better in every way. Whereas the guy who's coaching, You know, USA Basketball doesn't care. He's only there to win games. Mm -hmm. So if you say, hey, this kid can't seem to dribble right, what is the problem? That coach will give you a much better answer. And so you get a faster version of scouting. And again, and that's where analytics helps you. It breaks down to where you're not wasting your time. You know what questions to ask ahead of time. You You know how to frame the question to someone who, again, doesn't have a vested interest, who is more likely to give you an answer that you need. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing how how fine-tuned this machine is when you when you see it from the inside.
1: I know you probably paid a lot for this experience, so I won't have you divulge all the details of everything you learned there, but can you give us maybe a sense of the things you learned about the day-to-day of scouting that you may not have known before going through the program or maybe something that scouts look out for that an untrained eye may not no, to or how they watch the game that's different from a normal viewer.
0: So, one of the things that they do that that you know anybody can do this at home. When you're watching a game and you're trying to watch one person, it's so easy to get caught up in watching basketball and watching where the ball is and the ball movement. If a scout goes into a building to watch uh, pick a person, you know uh, Bob Smith of wherever, he sits down and only watches him for the entire game. I don't care if he's on the bench. I don't care if he's warming up. You watch specifically that person. You watch his facial expressions, whether he's taking instruction from the coach well, whether when he's sitting on the bench, is he engaged in the game or is he off in his own world? Thing, you know, you're, you're only watching that one person for the entire game. People think that watching 10 days of four games in a row is fun, and it kind of I don't want to say it sucks the fun out of it because it's wrong. I mean, if you have a passion for this, you'll still love it, but you really have to have a passion for basketball to scout. Because you're only watching one person. Are his feet in the right place to, to play proper defense in this set? Uh, is, is this system using him in the best way it can? And if not, how can our system better accommodate him? And really the only questions that need to be asked are, does this person help us on the floor or will he hurt us on the floor? And does this person help us in the locker room or will he hurt us in the locker room? So one of the things scouts do a lot on the locker room side is, They'll call your second grade English teacher. They'll call your every person you've interacted with in the last year. They'll walk around your college campus and talk to just the random people you walk by because everybody treats their head coach nice. You have to. You want to get minutes, you have to treat him nice. How do you treat the towel guy? Do you still have a positive attitude when you're treating someone nice who you don't have to treat nice? Are you still motivated when you're not in front of the cameras? And you can only get that, you know, the the, the scouts who do well at this have to go behind the scenes and ask questions of people who I don't want to say they don't matter. That's the wrong word. They don't matter in a basketball sense, right? They're not, not the coaches, not the trainers, you know, you're going to be motivated around them. You have to be, but when you're talking to your student advisor, how do you act?
1: Yeah. And one thing you brought up in that last answer was the passion needed. If you were to pursue scouting as a career, I get the sense that at least part of the scout school, involves testimonials about how life is as a scout how hard of a job it is between the constant work and travel not necessarily that much pay for what you put into it do you think that gave you a different perspective
0: Uh, of the let's say 120 people were in the room maybe three of them have what it actually takes because every person there from the gms all the way down to the guys who are currently scouting every one of them told you a story of I had to sleep in my car for nine months because I took this internship just to learn more about this system. Or I had to sleep on a buddy's couch or I fly around Europe on a shoestring budget and I have to plan it so perfectly just so I can eat it every place. You have to absolutely love this to have any chance at making it as a scout. And again, every one of them mentioned how they had different breaking points where, you know, in the first five or six years of this, every one of them thought, why am I doing this? You know, I've, I've, I've slept in a car for six months. Why am I doing this? And it, it it always comes back to the passion of it. You really, really have to love the sport well beyond a fan, well beyond even the average, you know, even even the really hardcore fans who think they love basketball. Are you willing to sleep on a couch for a year just to get a better insight into player, you know, player development or whatever, whatever it is. And every one of them had, I hate to call it a sob story. They loved it. Every one of them loved it, but the average person probably wouldn't. And it it really gives you an insight into how tough it is to make it. You know, there's only 30 GM jobs in the entire world. There's only, you know, there's only three or four scouts on every staff, maybe six on really big staffs. It's not a, you know, it's a hyper, hyper, hyper competitive world and to, to do that you have to you have to put in a lot of hours behind the scenes before you're ever known. If you if you hear somebody's name in the NBA, guarantee they have a story of driving cross country to take some job that nobody wants at some college you've never heard of just to get that extra experience.
1: Well, I don't want to work you too hard yet while you're on this show, so we'll take a little bit of a break and then I'll bring you back on and we'll talk to some kings. Certainly. We're back with Joe Morgan. As I said off the top of the show, you cover the Kings for Sack Kings Nation. You're the co-host of the Kings Court podcast. Have you been able to catch a lot of the Kings Summer League games while you're in Las Vegas?
0: So I've made it a point, of course, because of who I cover to watch every single Kings game here, uh, even though I'm not able to watch, you know, there's eight games going in any given day. You can only watch four of them. So I make sure that I'm watching the Kings games and then trying to pick up, you know, whatever games I can on the side to see guys who are going to come in and and compete up against us later in the year.
1: The Kings have a lot of interesting rookies joining this team this season. Justin Jackson, Harry Giles, Bogdan Bogdanovich I'm interested in, but first I want to get your opinion of De'Aaron Fox. I think he got onto a lot of casual NCAA fans radars when he shut down Lonzo Ball in this year's tournament. Now that you've gotten a chance to see him in person, what do you think of him?
0: Well, again, it's hard to explain how fast he is. I mean, he's just too skinny. That's the problem with a lot of these 18, 19 year old kids coming into the league is, you know, how do they compete with a 30 year old man who's been in the league for 10 years? And, you know, but other than, other than his body needing to add some weight and get stronger, he really looks good. There have been very few issues. Of course, it's summer league and that's a, you know, you have to take summer league with a grain of salt. You, You know, it's, it's, it's hard to it's hard to compare it to the NBA in the sense that, you know, again, you're you're only playing B-level talent. But uh, I'll give you one example. Malcolm Brogdon, who won Rookie of the Year, was ninth in scoring last year at mm-hmm. Summer League. So you never really know. But still, the, the view from the stands, if nothing else, it's going to be a really fun team to watch this year because they are going to be super fast in transition.
1: Yeah. And as I said, Not just Fox, a lot of other interesting rookies joining the team. Harry Giles, I think people viewed as a low-risk, possibly high-reward pick. He was one of the highest-ranked prospects out of high school, but then due to injury problems, dropped down the rankings. Bogdan Bogdanovich, I think a lot of U.S. fans know him from his missing a potential game-tying three against the U.S. in the Olympics. But other than that, he's considered one of the best young players in Europe. Other than Fox, who are the rookies are you most interested to see if they can make an impact this season and then beyond?
0: Well, OK, there's a couple kids that really stood out. Justin Jackson has been shooting like a sniper out here. Again, the the transition from college ball to the NBA, of course, add a couple feet to the three point line. So for the first couple games, I don't care which team you're watching, I don't care which shooter you're seeing. They're all going to be clanking off the front of the rim. Until they get their distance down, and he's one of the first ones to seem to really find that distance quickly and stick with it. So I think he's going to do really well at the next level, just because his he was so able to to quickly transition from the one game to the other. Frank Mason is doing really well. the The point guard selected thirty fourth. Man, he is just outstanding too. And then and then Harry Giles, we haven't seen any of because of course you know because of the injuries, they're really bringing him along slowly. And so I can't guarantee that he's going to go to the, to the G League this year, but I would guess that he's going to spend a lot of time down in Reno. Mm-hmm. But, of course, everybody's really excited about his potential. And I hate the word potential because, you know, if you're being drafted, of course you have potential. But right. he looks like his upside is well beyond most guys, and it's just an injury thing. He reminds me a lot of, well, I hate player comparisons because, again, they're kind of cliche, but he, he has a lot of amazing skills. If he can stay healthy, he's going to be an absolute home run.
1: Have you also seen continued development for the returning guys to summer league? Uh, I know Scala Sierra has been playing pretty well. Buddy Heald's been showing some things. And then maybe a guy like Yorgos Papianis. What have you, see, you seen from those guys?
0: So we'll start with Yorgos. A lot of people wonder, you know, A, why he was picked 13th uh, last year. And when he first came in, he had a lot of, I'll call it baby fat, I guess. He had a little bit of baby fat. He was still a kid. He was 18 years old when he was drafted. He just turned 20 on the third of this month. So a lot of people are expecting him to come into the league and, and immediately impact. Well, he's 20 years old, barely 20 years old. Still, he dropped, let's say, 20 pounds of bat off of his body, added 20 pounds of muscle. He's looking like a different player than he was last year in summer league. The last 20 games of the season, he was doing really well. Of course, again, you have to take that with a grain of salt because the teams that are playing hard are only the ones fighting for the eighth seed. If you're already in the playoffs, you're kind of playing your guy, you know, resting your guys. If you're not in the playoffs, you're kind of, I hate to use the word tanking, but, you know, you're kind of letting your other players play. So it's hard to judge, but Yorgos really looks better. There's a lot of people hating on him because of where he was drafted and, and how he's performed so far, but you give him another year. And I think he'll come out solid. b c a last year, once once the Demarcus Cousins trade uh, happened, again came out and had had a, gr- a great like last twenty games of the season. He's looking his, his development is on par. Uh, I, I know his trainer, and they're you know they're working hard. The guy is a gym rat. He's in there every day working on something, and that's that's all you can hope for out of these young kids is that they keep that that energy level up and they keep working hard a lot of these guys come into the league and and the league was their goal. You know, from from the time you're 8 years old, you want to be in the NBA. So once you get drafted, a lot of these guys kind of drop the effort level cuz oh, I've made it. Well, making it doesn't mean just making the roster. Making it means you stick to a roster and you become a solid uh, it, it's not an all-star, at least a solid starter. You know, there's there's all-star starters, role players and fringe players. At the minimum, you want to be a role player, you know, at least 8 minutes a night at least playing. But a kid like that, if if he keeps on the trajectory he is, he'll be a solid starter in the league for a long time. I'm looking down my list here. I'm trying to think who else. Okay, Willie Colleystein Stein. I know it's it's not his. He's not out here playing, but his development's coming along. Uh, he's been out here kind of supporting his his teammates. You know, just just cheering them on from the sides. Buddy Healed. Um, his shooting was a little rough the first couple games out here, but again, it's it's summer league isn't about how much you score. It's about how how well you look, and all of his misses are missing short or long, which means you're a good shooter. If you miss left or right, it means there's something wrong with your shot. But if you're missing short or long, that's just bad timing, and that's that's easy to fix. So the the, the guys are going to be able to easily work him into, you know, he, he's a shooter. It'll work out. And uh, Malachi Richardson, man, did that kid put on some weight. <laughs> uh, you know, being a being a two by nature, he put on about 20, 22 pounds of muscle this year. And uh, I think he's going to easily be able to step in and play the three when needed. And that, of course, gives them versatility in the fact that they they, they need a three. And uh, with Bogdan coming over, he's probably going to get a lot of the two minutes behind Buddy Healed. Well, you know, who's going to be number one? Who's going to be number two? The depth chart on the Sacramento Kings is a very fluid thing right now. Right. So whether whether Bogdan takes over or whether Buddy Heald starts... Either way, they're both going to be splitting the minutes, so it kind of left Malachi out. Now Malachi can take some of the three minutes and actually get some playing time this year. So, But there's so many people on this roster that are are young, up-and-coming kids that it's going to take at least this year, if not at least part of next year, to even sort out the, the depth chart. It's not going to be a, a set thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've talked about so many of the young prospects that the Kings have on their roster. But this offseason, they also brought in three veteran presences, high-profile pickups of George Hill, Vince Carter, and Zach Randolph. What do you think those guys mean for the direction that the team is looking to take?
0: Well, okay. I'll start with George Hill just because a lot of people in... Obviously, my Twitter feed exploded. Anybody in the Sacramento Kings community, they were questioning, why why is this happening? And what people didn't seem to get was... You can't just give the keys to a young man like Fox right off the bat. You gotta work him in slowly. And I think it was a it was a perfect signing to where he can play, George Hill can play, can take it over, but the contract is friendly enough that if De'Aaron Fox comes out in the first year and is just amazing, the, the contract's friendly enough that you can move George Hill. If it's if he doesn't come if, if De'Aaron doesn't come out immediately as a superstar. Well, then you keep him for those three years and let him develop slowly. It gives them flexibility to go either way. And it was, again, I think a brilliant signing in the sense that you have both options now open instead of only betting on his development or not. Uh, it gives you, you know, it gives you more flexibility. Talking about Vince Carter, man, who else would you want? I mean, he's only three years younger than than the coach, Coach Yeager.
1: Yeah.
0: He's been around. I mean, talk about a great guy to have in your locker room to tell these kids, how to play and how to work and how to, how to become an NBA person. It's, it's, it's a very hard transition. I don't think enough people give credit to the transition from college or even the Euro league into the NBA, how hard that is. And he gives a lot of these guys, he'll be that shoulder that you can go to and get the answers of, man, I had a bad night. What do I do? And he'll probably be able to help them shake it off a little bit and keep their confidence up. Uh, Anybody who's ever been a shooter, In basketball knows that confidence is about 80 percent of it if you you know once you've developed the technique it's really about believing in yourself and i think vince will be able to help them out and then getting to zach randolph we have a lot of young bigs on the sacramento kings roster a lot of them who would you rather have in your gym every day for practice for your young kids to have to bang up against than zebo i mean they'll have to work their butts off just to get a roster spot they'll have to you know they'll have to fight for their minutes and that in my opinion, having a, a hard competition makes everybody better. And you're going to have a hard competition to get minutes away from Zebo.
1: I think you often see this for these young teams. You bring in these veterans in a mentorship role. It sort of reminds me, obviously, a different situation. But last season, what Utah did when they brought in Joe Johnson, Boris Dio, George Hill to help the young core, really develop into what they could be and also for the kings especially their franchise i mean to put it nicely has been a bit dysfunctional for these past few seasons <laughs> to just have that like yeah the for about a decade to like put them back on the right track vince carter and zach randolph especially i mean crazy looking sort of at the early parts of that Randall's career to think by now we'd be saying like, you know, he'd be a great mentor. He's like a great influence on the young kids, but that's where we are right now.
0: Well, and and somebody we didn't mention because he's been on the team is Garrett Temple mm. and having him stick around as talk about a high character, great influence. Every one of these guys, one of the things that's changed in Sacramento is instead of looking for what they can do on the floor, they're also looking at the character of these guys. And you look at George Hill, you look at Garrett Temple, you look at Vince Carter, Zach Randolph. You're going to get these kids brought up the right way. They have the right character. They they know how to follow the coach. They're not going to be butting heads. Uh, you know, there's not going to be uh, you know the the arguing with the referees that we've had in the past in Sacramento. So it's it's it really looks good as a place to bring up young talent compared to how it's looked in the past where, you know, five coaches in, in five years, you know, uh, GM's changing. This looks like a stable organization now. And uh, we're a little bit sad to see Scotty Perry leave because he was pretty instrumental in this off season. And, uh, you know, taking that next job, you can't stop a guy from getting a, a GM job. You want him to go and you want him to move forward, but still, it was nice to have him around and the whole organization looked better based on the character that's been brought in on all sides, front office and player Mm personnel-wise.
1: You touched on this a little bit earlier, but what's your hope or your general understanding of the Kings' plan for how to distribute the George Hill versus De'Aaron Fox minutes? Do you think they'll be playing together at any point, or is it just a traditional Fox or Hill will come in for the other?
0: Because Frank Mason's in that mix also, I'm I'm still kind of up in the air on how exactly it's going to split if it's going to be you know 25 and and you know 15 and eight well I I don't know you know what I mean I think training camp is going to be a big big part of that I think it's still very fluid I guess is my best answer for that how they're going to do that is based on how fast De'Aaron is able to take the ranks. Of course, the Sacramento organization wants De'Aaron Fox to be the point guard of the future, but they also have to move him in slowly. So the beginning of the year and the end of the year, that minute split is going to be drastically different if De'Aaron is moving forward anyway.
1: Yeah. And this will be coach Yeager's second season at the helm for the Kings. Do you think he's the right guy to have that job of leading this, this young team to where they need to be?
0: I think he's, and, and I hate to say he's the perfect guy because you know, there's, there's, Popovich is in the world. So, you know, <laughs> there's there's always something. But but he's as good as you could possibly hope for. Coach Yeager is amazing. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade him for anybody else in the league right now. I think he's he's the absolute perfect guy to to bring this roster along. The the key to Coach Yeager though is him staying around. And he looks like he's bought in. Vladi in the front office look like they've bought in. And it's it's a matter of just not switching in the middle of the stream like they have in the past you know they they get a guy like like Malone in here mm-hmm. and everything looks to be clicking and then they get rid of him so as long as he stays for a long period of time you know at least a couple more years then yes it'll work out great um the biggest fear is always that they're going to change their minds and and bring in somebody new again because uh, i i think I'll, I'll give the example of uh you know the last couple years how do you develop a kid when every single time the season ends they have to learn a new system and so as long as they stay with the same system, coach Yeager is amazing. He, he, he seems to have the, the ear of the players. He has their respect. He has, you know, they're working hard for him, but again, it's a matter of sticking around for a couple of years. And as long as that happens, this squad is going to be not atrocious, <laughs> but they're going to be bad this year. they they, you know, 20 to 25 wins is a pretty good guess. It's not going to look good. A lot of people are going to say, Oh, what's happening. Well, they're young. Give it two years, give it three years, You know, to to steal from Philadelphia, trust the process. But, you know, you have to believe in the long-term success. And as long as he sticks through the entire thing, then yes, Coach Yeager is going to be the perfect man for this.
1: I think part of the problem, too, was that in the past few years for the Kings, obviously they haven't made the playoffs in however many years. But going into the season, I think a lot of people viewed them every season as possibly a fringe playoff contender. And then when things started not working out, then whoever was in charge, be it Vlade or Vivek sometimes, would just decide to they needed to blow it up and go in a different direction. As you said, this season it finally seems like Sacramento has come to terms with the rebuilding process going into the youth movement and not necessarily having the main goal as just solely on wind but more on development is that right
0: i think vivek and a lot of the you know everyone in sacramento really when the new building opened when golden one opened they wanted to have a playoff product to put on the floor they wanted a winning team to put on the floor so they weren't really in full rebuild they were kind of fighting it they were they were trying to bring in uh, you know the the rondos of two years ago they were trying to bring in the they were they were trying to make it an eight seed and rebuilding, and you can't do that. You have to either be one or the other. Right. And uh, I think the Demarcus Cousins trade finally signaled the willingness to go into the full version of a rebuild. And uh, as long as everybody's bought in, which it certainly looks like they all have, and they're willing to take those two years to grow, then then it's going to be great. It's just a matter of those last handful of years. Like you said, it, it was they were half in and half out. Well, you can't. You know, you can't rebuild and have veterans trying to take their minute. You can't try to win and develop a young guy at the same time because where is he going to get the minutes in a team that's trying to fight for the playoffs? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It, It just doesn't work. Now, knowing that they're only going to win 20 or 25 games, they can throw these guys out there and watch them develop because, again, confidence is probably the biggest thing that I can say these kids need more than every one of them. If you've been drafted in the NBA, if you've made your way into the NBA, you can shoot, you can dribble, you can move. Those things, I mean, everybody can do it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made it this far. But it's a matter of learning the NBA game and learning to have confidence in your NBA game. And now that they're in a full rebuild, I think they can finally put those kids out there long enough that they can have their stumbles and falls and still come back in the next game and and have the ability to, to learn to fight back through it.
1: So with all that said, as someone who covers basketball in Sacramento, Do you feel like you have reasons for optimism for this team and that all the dysfunction that surrounded this franchise is finally behind them?
0: I've thought for about a year and a half now that the dysfunction was kind of over, but it takes a long time for the media, uh, nationwide media and other people to believe it. And it's finally coming to a point where people have stopped thinking of Sacramento as the dumpster fire it was three, four years ago it It just takes a long time to make that, but yeah, there's a lot of optimism because all these young guys say of the let's let's just say there's ten that you can see as you know having huge potential if only half of them develop, that's still a really solid squad mm-hmm. and you know and and hopefully of course, they can develop all of them, but if they can't, you know, and with this year not looking like they're gonna be that great next year's draft is is really a, a really um a heavy draft. Also, there's going to be a lot of talent coming up. So they're going to have probably a top, I'd say top three pick, but of course you never know who else is going to be bad. (laughs) But uh, I would say the Lakers will probably be worse. The the Rockets will probably be worse. So uh, just slot the Kings in now for the number three pick next year. And that's, that's another kid to bring up. And so it's, there's a lot of hope I've seen in this summer league, more Sacramento Kings jerseys out in the fan, out in the fan area. Than I've ever seen out here. I've seen more people who believe now. I, I, I give the example of the the game after DeMarcus was traded. The kings were winning by eleven with a minute left, and the kids were up by eleven and still diving for the out of bounds with you know forty eight seconds on the clock. And that type of effort it gives the fans hope, even if they lose, when you see the kids out there trying to you know, just work as hard as they can, you know they're going to be something eventually. And that hope is all Sacramento needed. They don't need wins right away. They just needed something that gave them belief in the future. And it's here. It's here. There's finally hope that the future can be brighter than the last couple years have been.
1: Joe, I've taken a lot of your time. Thank you so much for all the insight you gave on both the Scout School and the Kings. Hopefully we'll have you on again sometime. Certainly.
0: I'm looking out my window right now from my hotel at Las Vegas. And yeah. It's about time to to get, get geared back up and head back out to the craziness that is this city. So thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun.